Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your back, Jean-Luc. Jean-Luc. I'm Captain Captain Janeway of the USS Voyager. Captain Captain Janeway of the USS Voyager. Welcome to the Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys just a little bit embarrassed about having a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. Ben, I was so excited to get on the mics with you today I, to talk about something that we've not talked about for a very long time. Childlike excitement is what I would describe your mood as right now. You just could not wait to get on the microphones. Our friend J.K. Woodward paid me a visit, gave me a uh, piece of original artwork that included our faces. He visited you? Yeah, he just came to my house. and, and what? It, it delayed our recording by a couple of minutes, and uh, I could tell you were disappointed that you were going to have to wait like five, ten minutes to get on these mics. Put me off, man. What What's up with J.K.? Give me the scoop on him. J.K. Woodward, famed Star Trek comics artist, put us onto his edition of the cover for IDW's 400th issue of Star Trek comics. I think they did multiple different variations on this cover, and he got the commission right. for one of them. He put us in it. He hid our faces in there. Awesome. And so uh, he offered to give us the original painting of it, and uh, he dropped by the house to drop it off because he was coming up from San Diego Comic-Con and uh, happened to be in the area. That means that both of us have JK originals. It's true. Hung in our offices. Yeah, I have a bunch. JK is such a great friend of the show over the years. Yeah. Even though the first originals that he ever sent us, you let a construction worker use as like a drop cloth to do some gluing or something. <laughs> I'm really glad you reminded me of that. Yeah. <laughs> I still think I'm going to find that JK original somewhere. You do. I've got a lot of tubes and a lot of flats of unframed artwork and stuff oh. that I've not put up on the wall. I, I just feel like I misfiled it somewhere. <laughs> and it's going to surprise me years down the road. Wow. That'd be cool. And I will be vindicated. I think you destroyed it. Yeah. Through negligence. Let's be honest. <laughs> That's what happened. How do you wish that upon me as you yourself are getting like home renovations done? <laughs> I, I would never hope for any of your uh, beloved items to get destroyed. I didn't wish that on you. I'm I'm saying that's what happened in the past and I feel bad about it. Not because I was wishing it on you, but because I'm I'm ruining the, the great mood you seem to be in before we started recording today. <laughs> yeah, as great co-hosts are wont to do. <laughs> Speaking of mood ruiners, Ben, I've got a story, and it has to do with a walk I took around Echo Park Lake. What? You know what time it is, Ben. Oh my God, it's been years since we've had a Raskin open. I have just had the most remarkable experience. For a few moments, I actually felt the air currents beneath my wings, the exhilaration of soaring above the treetops. <laughs> oh, when everybody's head about the bed. Oh man, I almost didn't know where to find that drop. <laughs> it's just in the folder with all the other drops. Yeah, <laughs> labeled Raskin. Yeah. Ben, I haven't been to Echo Park since you moved away from that neighborhood, and I was over there over the weekend showing a good buddy from out of town all the delights to be had oh, yeah. in that neighborhood. There are many. They are legion. 
And uh, I had I had plans to go to a Dodger game that afternoon. And Ooh. me and this friend were hanging around Echo Park, and my wife had planned to come pick us up at Echo Park Lake. Mm-hmm. So me and this friend uh, headed off of Echo Park Avenue, took a left, headed for the lake, and I was shocked at what I found there, Ben. What happened? Have you been there lately? Uh, yeah, they so... <laughs> They fenced the whole thing off. Yeah, it's this was uh, dickhead city councilman Mitch O'Farrell mm. had like a bunch of like heavily armed police officers beat up protesters and uh, unhoused people living around the lake at one point during the pandemic and then like completely isolated the lake. Like it was completely fenced off in a way that you couldn't even go in for a while. And now there are a couple of entrances, but it's like super highly policed and like they won't let anybody go in there that doesn't seem like they aren't a homeowner, basically. It's really fucked up. I did not see any police, but I also rarely saw an entrance. I kept walking and walking and walking and I was like, (laughs) the lake's right there. There are the swan boats. Yeah. How do I get in? (laughs) And I walked a half a mile around the lake before I found an entrance to it. Finally yeah. got in there. Saw yeah. like hundreds of turts. Oh, yeah. I think a city council person needs to do something about the turts in that lake. Mm. The water was running thick <laughs> with the turtles, with the mossy backs. Yeah. the uh, They love the summer. Yeah. They're big fans of the warm weather, those turts. You know, one of my favorite things to do when I walk around Echo Park Lake is read the Raskins. The Raskins, of course, being the little plaques. Yeah. On every park bench there with uh, with really fun quotes. Judith Raskin, a lady that left a bunch of money to the lake and uh, a bunch of delightful quotes and provocations on her brass plaques on all of the benches. I was really enjoying showing my out-of-town friend all the Raskins until we came upon a park bench where a Raskin looked like it had been removed. <gasps> what? With like a crowbar or something. Damn. What the hell? And it was so upsetting. Because the Raskins are my favorite part of Echo Park Lake. Yeah, yeah. These quotes like, isn't it a beautiful summer day today? (laughs) (laughs) Look up in the trees. Maybe you'll see a heron. (laughs) Is one of them. (laughs) I know this is kind of a lot of goose shit. (laughs) (laughs) Jeremy that runs the swan boats owes me 20 bucks (laughs) I found it more upsetting than the displacement of the unhoused Ben I'll tell you that much right now (laughs) wow (laughs) whoa Adam Pranica not friend to the downtrodden but friend to the brass plaque here are a selection of Raskins that I took pictures of okay and then you and I will vote on our favorite, right? Okay. All right? Let's do it. Is there a red-tailed hawk flying overhead? There might be two as they mate for life and fly together. Okay. Gift from the estate of Judith B. Raskin. <laughs> if it's not sunny today, it will be shortly. This is Echo Park in California. Lots of gloomy rainy days are not allowed. <laughs> Gift from the estate of Judith B. Raskin. I'd say that if anything, she was just a really good copywriter. Yeah. (laughs) This one, uh, see if you can detect where the misplaced comma is in this one. (laughs) Come, view the lake's beautiful lilies in the summer. (laughs) 
<laughs> and finally, Judy wants you to enjoy the lake and the park and everything about it. <laughs> Gift from the estate of Judith B. Raskin. <laughs> mm. Here's what I don't understand. This last one, zero commas. Okay. The one before, unnecessary comma. Yeah. So here, here are our choices. Red-tailed hawk. Right. If it's not sunny today, it will be shortly. Come view the lake's lilies. And Judy wants you to enjoy the lake. <laughs> it's so hard to choose. I I kind of feel like the ones about birds are my favorite. Because yeah. I would say that like a good half of them have something to do with birds. And that's just like... Uh, my grandfather loved birds. I'm just drawn mm-hmm. to an old that is a big bird enthusiast. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not saying a big bird enthusiast. I'm no. saying like a an enthusiast of birds that enthuses bigly. <laughs> <laughs> I like to think about whether or not Judy B. actually wrote these or if the estate wrote them for her in kind of a Judy voice. Mm-hmm. Right. And it makes me want to make sure I have that shit dialed in before I die. Like... If someone's going to install a park bench with a purported quote to me, yeah, I want all my commas in the right place. Yeah, I mean, you'd be rolling in your grave if if a, if a dangling participle wound up on a bench with your name on it. I bet. Uh, <laughs> I bet if one were to make a park bench after my death and were to attribute a quote to me, Mm -hmm. the plaque would be something like this. It would be something really funny you said, (laughs) and then in quotes underneath it, an ellipsis, and then that's it. (laughs) That sounds accurate. What would yours be? Um, Probably something really funny you said, and then ha 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 in all capital letters. Period. And then attributing to me. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. Well, I mean, if we both die at the same time, we really need to make sure someone has got that figured out for us. Yeah. Um, Maybe our friend and agent can make sure that that's done properly. Yeah. What else has he done for us lately? (laughs) (laughs) You know, our friend and agent, uh, who should shortly know his way around a plaque Mm -hmm. that we're producing for him. Yeah. We gotta, we gotta get that done. I, I was embarrassed that we didn't get it done in time for our show in LA. Yeah, it'll be done in time for February. That's for sure. Yeah, we got, <laughs> got like long odds that he shows up for February, but you know, we'll see. <laughs> hey, why is your, uh, why is the gig bag that you take on tour so heavy? Well, there's a lot of uh, mahogany and brass in there. <laughs> The uh, person outside our venue is like, I'm going to have to check every one of these gig bags for mahogany and brass. <laughs> Can't bring mahogany and brass in here. That's what we sell. Mahogany and brass sounds like uh, a nice jazz combo oh, that we yeah. do as a side project, huh? Sure. Yeah. We re-record old ska hits, but is in like a smooth jazz format. Like ska turned into bossa nova. Right. Ooh. I like it. Yeah. Uh, hey, Adam, you want to pass the duchy from the left-hand side and get into the episode we came to talk about today? Wow, I sure do. <laughs> that is a reference I understand. It's season four, episode 15, Hunters. Reverse course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes. I'm not turning around. <laughs> a 
really interesting visual start to an episode that had a lot of visual flourishes. It really did. I thought. Uh, space, where everyone can hear your radio traffic. <laughs> yeah. Is how this starts. We're getting the kind of tuning the dial in between actual station sound, and it's uh, where you can catch snatches of words, Starfleet receiving this message, Voyager, but it's all it's all garbled and bungled up and uh, and a random red hot chili pepper song. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. They're playing the red hot chili peppers game on Starship Voyager. Uh-huh. <laughs> on the bridge, Ensign Kim is working on cleaning up the signal and this is I, I thought I was hearing Janeway's voice in this. I thought so too. I was thinking that this was going to like reuse some of the energy from that episode where they like sent a broadcast and they thought they got something back, but it was just scrambled of the thing that they sent. Yeah, they, they just keep doing it. Yeah, but uh, but no, this is a real message seemingly from real Starfleet. Yeah. But they don't have the whole thing. They just, it cuts off. It's like, I've got something super important to tell you. That's all we got. It's the most annoying cell phone call. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, Janeway looks over at Kim and she's like, can you clean that up? And Kim's like, I can't. (laughs) The plan is if they can't retrieve this audio from this relay station, why don't they just go and get it from the station itself? Yeah. Makes sense to me. It's coming through that set of relays that they sent the EMH through. And the one that all the rest of the signal is jammed up in is really close. There's coffee in what the rest of that message says. This has got all the feelings of like, you lost your Frisbee in a neighbor's backyard and you're like hopping the fence. Yeah. Go get it. I mean, it also kind of felt like it could be a trap, right? Like they pissed yeah. those guys off the last time they used it and yeah. sent Worf lightning down the line at a guy. Yeah. It didn't seem impossible that they had just like laid a a, a trap, but it's not what this is. Were you carrying that burden throughout the episode of like, well, they did shoot lightning at that one Herogen guy. <laughs> <laughs> so you sort of understand the gripe. <laughs> Our card daddy and social media director, Bill Tilly, was telling us about a bad time he had on the phone with customer support recently. And I've been dealing with a little bit of that myself. I had a, uh, a contractor put a coat of varnish on a new step in front of my house, and it was drying. And I put a sign in front of the step. There's another way to get to the front door. This mm-hmm. step was drying. It needed 24 hours to dry. I put a sign right in front of it that said, wet paint, please go around and use other step. Yeah. Delivery guy came like three hours later and just like marched right up it, like maneuvered his hips around the sign. And I'm like sending photos to the company that sent this delivery guy. Like, what is your guy doing? Like, I got to pay a contractor to come out here now and like grind off the fucking ruined, you know, sealant and put a new thing on. What the fuck? Like, are you going to help me pay for that? Or is this just like, oh, my bad luck. You decided to deliver something at the time. So I was like a little bit on the Voyager side when they sent the wharf lightning down the line. Damn, dude. <laughs> Benjamin R. Harrison, enemy of the gig laborer. I don't know. If just you... trying to drop a package, man. They're not trying to read any signs. Yeah. It's going to 
read these fists if he does it again. Oh, geez. Ben. (laughs) You're clearly going to need four or five signs (laughs) to block the entry to your front door. Here's the fucked up thing. Like the contractor was leaving and he's like, hey, man, do you want me to put like some caution tape up around it? And I was like, dude, I'm going to take care of this. Oh, no. Like I was like looking at the clock. It was three o'clock was his time that he needed to get out of there. It was 2.57. And I was like, I'm not going to make you put tape up around this when you need to get out of here there needed to be a physical barrier ben i think expecting people to read a sign is just too much there was a physical barrier i put a huge thing in front of it it was not just a sign (laughs) you said the person wiggled his hips around it yeah hip wiggle suggests that there was sufficient room to walk on your patio come on i'll I'll send you a picture i'm gonna I'll, i'll i'm gonna Jackie and Lori me a picture. You a picture of the setup, the same picture that I sent to the fucking company. I can't wait to make this the show art for today's episode. <laughs> do you have a picture of the footprint? Yes. In the varnish? I do. I'm gonna be looking at this guy's fucking footprint for the rest of my life. <laughs> Did you get those pictures? No. You sent them to a different Adam. Shit! Fuck! God damn it! Fuck! Hey, there they are. Okay. Oh, damn. Damn, dude. (laughs) I love that the lugs on these shoes are for some reason marbles. (laughs) Yeah. Hit weird shoes, too. Damn, Daniel. So I'm going to describe what I'm looking at here. It's your front porch, and there is a podium in front of the steps. Yeah. People will recognize this podium from our uh, Destroy the Falcon 2 video in which we accidentally destroyed a Star Destroyer and then Adam on purpose destroyed the Roman Coliseum Lego model. Oh, man. Ben, (laughs) Ben, you know I'm on your side in so many ways. Don't betray me here. I don't think this is a sufficient barrier for your typical package delivery person. I I don't know if I want to continue with this podcast. (laughs) Oh, man. That is so brutal. I'm sorry, dude. That sucks. When did the show just turn into two old farts complaining about shit? God knows there's plenty of those out there. We'll cut all this out. So uh, also listening into this signal are some Herogens. We've seen these dudes before. They've got helmets. They've got face masks. And they are fucking pissed that somebody is using their relays. What, what is, how, how did you get my espresso machine? Makes sense to me. It really does. <laughs> this isn't Federation property. You fucking stole it, man. You're always siding with the bad guys. What's wrong with you, Adam? Are they the bad guys? All they're doing is using their own gear and getting electrocuted by people who are trying to steal from them. Yeah. I don't believe that this is their own gear. I think they're just assholes that laid claim to this gear. I don't think they're smart enough to build relays that use uh, singularities as power sources. They just seem like assholes, but they're pissed. This main guy is like helmet painting pissed. He, he sticks his finger in the white paint, puts that on his helmet. That's how you know it's on. Does the Herogen ship run on kind of a children's museum playground toy (laughs) type of controls? I was trying to figure out how these controls work. Yeah, the the little rods that go in and out. Yeah. I (laughs) I love this. 
I'm all for it. Like innovation in controls. Like this is the most innovative control we've gotten since the half dome shaped controls on every Ferengi ship. Yeah, I really like this a lot. It's good. You know when this Herogen starts face painting, shit is on. Yeah. And after the theme, we're back on Voyager where everyone's guessing about what the end of the message says. Yeah, I loved the just speculation among the bridge crew. The, hey, this is so great. Like, we're about to get a message from Starfleet for the first time since this whole show started. Really interesting compositions in this scene. Every shot seems to be through a railing somehow. Yeah, and therefore kind of closed in and and close. And Harry Kim is there just like so excited about probably hearing from his parents because they for sure haven't forgotten about him. No mention of his girlfriend. I think that Harry Kim has really moved on emotionally from her. I mean, Harry Kim is definitely someone who would say that his best friends are his parents. (laughs) I think his energy around hoping to hear from them is a little strange. I mean, it becomes the B story of the episode in many ways, so I'll have a lot of time to talk about it. But yeah, I tend to agree. We get like a full-on montage of Harry Kim's parents redecorating his childhood bedroom. (laughs) Yeah, making making it into a sex room. Yeah. (laughs) They make it look like the interior of the Herogen ship, just a bunch of metal and sex swings and webs with bones hanging in them. Uh, (laughs) Strong prey makes for a better hunt. Yeah, it's the uh, season finale of that Netflix reality show about designing your sex room. Yeah. (laughs) Of course, it's locked in. What? Listen to me very carefully because I'm only going to say this once. The EMH finds. Seven of Nine in the astrometrics lab where she has been burning the implants at both ends. She has been toiling day and night to connect to these relays and get more information. 58 hours she's been awake. Yeah, it's a lot. And uh, it's a good thing too because in those 58 hours, she's pulled six more words from the message (laughs) that was sent to them. So a word every 10 hours is about what she's achieving. That's also my typing speed. (laughs) Is that why you were let go of your copywriting job? Yeah. Adam's accuracy is bar none the best we've ever seen, but his speed of execution is so slovenly that the company cannot possibly be profitable under these kinds of conditions. No one understood my genius, Ben. (laughs) No one does these days either. That sounds like something the doc would say in this scene, who is totally delusional, (laughs) imagining a hero's welcome for himself when he finally gets home. I've accomplished things no EMH ever has. Yeah. You can just see the confetti that goes right through his holographic matrix showering down upon him. I mean, he would be in Seven's ball kicking machine were he to have tangible balls. (laughs) (laughs) Because that ball kicking machine goes right through him. Yeah. She can't rain on his parade by suggesting that he might get wiped and upgraded. Yeah. That's what's going to happen, right? There's no way you keep a classic program like his going. I mean, there's one lawyer in the Federation that could prevent something like that from happening. (laughs) Some bangers get dropped on the ship as they approach this relay. And they're still like two light years away. And... They're kind of scratching their heads about this. Like, what is like what is causing these bangers? Turns out 
it's the relay itself. It's got a incredibly powerful gravimetric field around it. And uh, they're able to compensate for it, but uh, it's not a pretty look. I love the kind of keep out sign that they pass on their way to the station. That's the form of a damaged ship with skin inside. Like <laughs> they're like, oh yeah, there's we're picking up a damaged ship and there's one dead body on board. And when they beam it aboard, it's just like it's chicken skin on a bio bed. <laughs> Did they literally just go into the makeup department and get like one of the rubber masks that they would pull over somebody's head for like an alien bazaar? background character and it really has that drugstore halloween costume <laughs> look to it for sure this is a, a an alien that has been subjected to what the image describes as a complete osteotomy he's had all his bones taken out i argued against this description at the time because i was like how do you possibly say that this was a procedure to remove the bones the muscle and the organs, and not just say this is a procedure that removed the skin. Ooh, yeah. It's like, who removed whom? I know it's semantics, but <laughs> that was important to me. Yeah. Yeah, let's write a letter to the uh, writers of this episode. Was it Jerry Taylor? I'm pissed too. Uh, I have a question. Get a life. I love this move. They're like, well... If all it is is a pile of skin, beam it back into that <laughs> ship and we'll be on our way. Maybe his friends can come find him. <laughs> Just make sure he's face down when you beam him back. That's the bad part about picking up alien skin is when you return it to the nest. Mm. The mama alien. will reject it. Yeah. So sad. Yeah. But also, like, get it together, aliens. What the <laughs> hell? Just because it smells a little different, you're going to fucking abandon your child? I've abandoned my alien! Shit, shit. I've abandoned my alien boy! They pull up to this relay where all of the rest of their data packets are, and it looks rusty, it looks old, looks pretty haunted. They scan it, and it looks like it's 100,000 years old, and uh, like we mentioned, powered by a black hole. Just like a Romulan ship. I love how everyone immediately starts negging the station. Like, <laughs> whoa, huh? Didn't expect it to be this old. Yeah. And it's somehow still working and useful? No water? This place is a dump. It's wild because it is, it's basically a station wrapped around a black hole. Yeah. And every time they get a little bit closer, the ship starts rocking more and more. So they've got kind of a maximum proximity that they can get before the ship is going to get torn apart. And nobody is riding for tear her apart then. No, no. Nothing is coming easy in this project. They thought that just by arriving there, they'd be able to, to get more of the messages off. Yeah. But that's not happening. Yeah. And in the astrometrics lab, they continue working on this problem. And as Janeway reads the snippets from these messages, it soon dawns on her that these are not like official Starfleet communiques. These are personal messages. Yeah. It's a big trove of personal messages. And uh, it's not long before Janeway picks someone to get the happy duty of delivering the mail. Or a duty that seems at first blush like it would be happy. 
Right. But turns out to be actually a shitty job, <laughs> which I feel like justifies why she picks who she picks. <laughs> right. Because they're given to Neelix to distribute. And this is going to devastate the people who don't receive anything, right? Like you can just tell right up front someone's going to get hurt. Yeah. They've essentially beamed a, a, a ball kicking hologram from the Alpha Quadrant onto the ship. And uh, they're going to go around with that. So she passes off these letters, and they also detect some other stuff in the transmission. There is uh, something else that's like heavily encrypted in the message, but uh, it's going to take a while to pull everything down. So they're they're not even getting started on opening up those particular text documents just yet. Janeway has an interesting question for Seven in this scene, which is like. Pretty big moment right now, huh? <laughs> How do you feel about this? And Seven's like, honestly, this doesn't move my needle at all. I've never even been to Earth. And she kind of doubles down. She's like, so what if there were people waiting for you on Earth? <laughs> that would be weird, right? And this actually does, like, that Janeway keeps drilling until she hits a nerve here. I yeah. thought it was a really interesting moment. I did too. It seems like there is a thing that happens early in this episode where the people that have gotten messages are really weird around the people that haven't and vice versa. Yeah. And you can tell that Janeway is expecting a letter in this moment, but, uh, you know, Seven has no reason to expect one. She's watching people get fajitas. Yeah. But also nobody on Earth knows that Annika Hansen is even alive. So nobody would have sent Seven a letter, but it does like put you in the mind of somebody who isn't going to get one. Right. Yeah. Not only is Seven not getting fajitas, she's not even in the restaurant. Yeah. And she doesn't even know the restaurant exists. She can't hear the sizzle at all. No. Sad. On the bridge, one of the first letters ends up going to Chakotay. And this is a good moment for Robert Beltran because... He's one of a couple of actors in this episode that like begins reading a letter with the hope of something great. Yeah. And when he realizes it's from an old Mayquees buddy. Mayquees? And then he begins to read it, it totally changes his mood. Yeah. I mean, the, the Mayquees element of this is only really lightly dealt with in this episode, but it's something I wondered intensely about. Like, what yeah. are the people at Starfleet Command thinking about the presence of a bunch of Mayquees on this ship? They will have learned this by now. Are they making plans to welcome them back with open arms, making plans to prosecute the survivors? Like, I read one of the ideas that they toyed with for this episode was one of the official Starfleet communiques being something like, put all the Mayquees in the brig wow. for the rest of the trip. <laughs> <laughs> and for Janeway to have to disregard that order. Yeah. And continue. Damn. I thought that would have been an interesting tension. Yeah. No kidding. I mean, I can also see that tension just kind of destabilizing the show in a way that would be really hard to yeah. repeatedly justify, you know, if the Makewees now have every reason in the world not to go home. Yeah. It's true. So I, th I think they probably made a, a wise choice not taking it that direction. But I did want to hear more about this. Once Neelix has passed that letter to Chakotay, he's like getting ready to leave the bridge. And Harry Kim is like, what about me? There's got to be something in that 
pile of three iPads for me. Felix is like, nah, dude, these letters are coming out in dribs and drabs. Just you got to be patient. You know, there is a letter here from your parents, but it's actually to Tom Paris. (laughs) (laughs) So that's weird. Yeah. There's another one here from the Delaney sisters' parents to Tom Paris. (laughs) What is going on with all these parents? Actually, half of these letters are to Tom Paris, and they're all from people's parents. I heard there are at least 30 more letters that have been downloaded. Oh, yeah? I know you don't want to do it. Do it. Coffee black. Make it yourself. I'm trying to help you see this as an opportunity to grow. Make it yourself. Tuvok is the recipient of one of these letters, and when Neelix gives him that, he takes great umbrage with the idea that Tuvok would want to finish his work duties first. Yeah. Before reading it, he's really uh, letter edging. Letter edging so much that he's like, I, I did read the first paragraph or two. Why don't I just uh, catch you up on what's in the letter? Yeah. As far as what I overread while I was walking around prying into your personal business. Hey, Neelix, that's a federal crime. Yeah. Maybe the thing from Starfleet is put Neelix in the brig yeah. for the rest of the trip. It was just a long game that Janeway is playing to get Neelix put in the brig for the rest of the trip. <laughs> there is a law to fit your crime, Neelix. Finally, we found someone. It was written centuries ago. <laughs> Tuvok, it turns out, has become a grandfather while he's been away. Yeah. Commander Gramps. How about that? Yeah. And uh, once Neelix finishes reading the part that he already read, he leaves the rest of the message on the console and leaves. And uh, Tuvok does, in fact, give in to his temptation. Yeah. And uh, read the rest of the message before he finishes his tactical report or whatever. The news for Janeway and her letter is... uh, Sufficient to read in private. She takes it to the ready room, and it's from Tom Mervins. For the clothes you love to live in. And she goes through the seasons of her emotions <laughs> here like the others. Like, it begins with the joy of hearing from someone you care about, yeah. and then segues into some pretty bad news here. Yeah, and she reads it all in silence, so we're left only to wonder... Uh, in this moment, but uh, it doesn't seem like she is really loving what she's reading. And um, also imparting some bad news is Chakotay, who comes down to engineering and pulls BLT aside with uh, an update on what has befallen the Maquis. I thought I knew what he was going to say, but extermination of all the Maquis was not one of my guesses here. Yeah. I mean, I don't feel like DS9 never quite put it in terms that stark, as far as I can remember, but I guess that's what happened, right? In all those space battles with the Dominion during the war, I mean, the losses on the Federation side were huge. Yeah, so the breakaway faction of the Federation that the Maquis were really didn't stand a chance. They didn't have Del Sol-class starships. No, no. The Dominion had bigger ticks. Yeah. BLT is not sad about this. She is fucking pissed. I will make someone pay. I swear I will. I mean, even Tara and Roberto are dead, Adam. I'd be pissed. Yeah. Yeah. They were great Maquis. Some of the best. Yeah. They were Seska good. <laughs> Some of the few Maquis that Chicote didn't knock up. <laughs> I mean, he tried. And to my way of thinking... 
there's still plenty of time. Yeah. So she's really raging around the ship. Tom Paris catches up with Harry Kim in the lunchroom. And Tom Paris, another interesting case with these letters, really not looking forward to even receiving one because he knows it's going to be from his dad and he doesn't want to hear from his dad. He's more interested in how his impossible chicken's been made. <laughs> and he's not wrong in that curiosity. Yeah. It tastes vaguely like chicken, but it has the consistency of corn husks. So is it like, it's processed food, which is also bad for you. So is it worse for me or better for me? I'm, I just want to understand this. We just got some impossible chicken nugs in our house. Yeah. And they are delicious. <laughs> I feel like the current generation of that. Yeah. Is really good. Yeah, but a science experiment, you know? Yeah. Isn't everything, though? I don't like guessing of what I put in my stomach. Neelix comes in with, like, a bucket of iPads at this point and is passing them out. And again, Kim gets passed over here. He's fucking pissed at this point. Who's more upset in this scene, Kim or Paris? Because by the end of it, Paris is like, look, bro, don't got any hopes. Don't got any disappointments. Am I making any sense here? <laughs> Yeah. That's how I live my life. It seems like uh, like Tom Paris's approach to this may be just as unhealthy, but from a different direction. <laughs> I think no hopes, no disappointments is a plaque that they should put above the mess hall. <laughs> <laughs> like Paris is talking about the letters, but what he's really talking about is the food. That's actually the sign that the health inspector made them put <laughs> in the window of the mess hall. <laughs> I've never seen that many letters as a rating for a place. <laughs> bon appetit. Seven goes to see Janeway in her ready room and doesn't really even seem to notice how depressed Janeway obviously is. I wish she just walked in without ringing the doorbell again. <laughs> I wish that was her thing every time. She should Kramer every scene. Yeah, she should be the Steve Urkel of Voyager. Uh -huh. uh, instead, she's learning. She's getting better. Yeah. She's adapted. <laughs> she is. She wants a, a shuttle to take into get a little closer to the station because she thinks a, a, a Subaru Brat will be more adept at handling these gravimetric eddies than an intrepid class starship. And uh, Janeway's like, yeah, fine, whatever. I don't give a fuck. Just take Tuvok with you. Yeah, nothing matters anyway. Sure. And Seven's like, cool, all right, thanks, bye. <laughs> yeah, like it doesn't matter the way in which the parent loans you the car, it's that they do. You're right, yeah, exactly. But when you are like in a funk and like trying to really like play up what a funk you're in for the person that you're having a conversation with, it really does hurt when they like don't seem to pick up on that and like ask if there's anything they can do or whatever. That's it. You're so right about that, because if anyone else had been in Seven's position in this moment asking for the car keys, they would have been like, hey, Cap, everything all right? <laughs> Seven does does not give any fucks. <laughs> Seven's like me at any of our Uxbridge Shimoda meetings, just wanting to get the meeting over. <laughs> oh, that does uh, sound like you at one of our Uxbridge Shimoda meetings. <laughs> Everyone's fine. Side chatting me about can we speed this along? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> In Astrometrics, Harry Kim finds BLT, and uh, he's, again, thirstily looking for a letter. She can't help him. But because BLT is still in the bad mood of the knowledge of a bunch of dead Maquis, 
She just hammers Harry Kim again about his crush on Seven. Harry, you might as well wear a big sign that says, I'm in love. Everyone sees it. Yeah. It gets personal, gets ugly. It's a a very interesting moment because you really know like what both characters are going through and why they're being like BLT being nasty to someone doesn't always come with a Mm -hmm. emotional underpinning like this. Yeah. And I really liked the tone of this scene because I, I totally empathized with both of them. I understand why BLT is in no mood and I understand why Kim is feeling adrift and, and anxious about this. Yeah. Why don't you go take it out on your clarinet, Kim? <laughs> That's what I'm asking. Yeah. I've got to get that platinum, get that low metal Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen. Because these are very low-dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry-level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order, plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! 
Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. So on the shuttle, Seven of Nine and Tuvok are, you know, it's like an airplane landing in Austin, Texas. Just huge amounts of turbulence. Oh, shit. I haven't thought about that in a while. Yeah. <laughs> this has got to be fun to play as an actor, right? Like you're really giving it the nine out of 10 on the bounce. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like doing it in a chair has, has got to be a little bit more fun than being up on, on your feet on the bridge and trying to like make it look like you're hanging on to the banisters and stuff. I really feel like David Livingston went all the way in his setups for this episode because he's shooting up from the floor in the middle of these two seats on the shuttle in a way I don't think we've ever seen before. Yeah. He's all over the place with camera placements. It's really cool. Seven is trying to get out of Tuvok like a, a she made me take you on this OA mission because she doesn't trust me yet, right? And he's like, no, like the rules are use the buddy system on an OA mission. And so while they're talking about this, they're like sending a pulse at the station to calm down the gravity waves or something. And then they get set upon by a hostile ship and uh, they get scanned in a way that like knocks all the systems out. And I was like, if it knocked all the systems out, can you call it a scan or is that an attack? Good thing they didn't scan the shields because those are still up momentarily. Yeah, and like you said, there's this like really amazing floor-up shot of the cockpit of this shuttle while they're under attack with like sparks arcing over mm-hmm. the the view screen, and it is a really exciting bit of space combat. Yeah, I like the strategy. You got to fire a distress bois, an emergency buoy, before you're tractored into an enemy ship's cargo bay. Yeah, I love that it looks just like. <laughs> Like the shuttle took a poop. <laughs> yeah. It's great. They don't know what's happened back on Voyager. They're just, they're concerned with the letter storyline still. Yeah. They're like, hey, uh, the gravimetric field of the station seems to have calmed down. Great news. They they did it. Yeah. Anybody heard from them? Nobody's asking. <laughs> we get a moment of relationship greatness here. When BLT calls Paris to the astrometric ankylosaur, I'm gonna keep doing that every episode. Yeah, it's, it's hard to say. When BLT calls we just, Paris, we need to just coin a new term for it: axcrometric slab. How about we just call it the ass lab? The ass lab? Yeah, I'm in. Easy, easy, done. That's the greatest gen promise. We will come up with a much easier way to say some of these techno babble words. You know how you can get yourself like a disco shirt or a, a Rito shirt. <laughs> Ass lab. <laughs> Coming soon to podjob.biz. <laughs> I really like this scene because BLT knows that Paris has got some complicated feelings about who he might get a letter from. And this is before he even knows yeah. who the letter is coming from. And BLT's like, 
it's your dad. (laughs) And Paris is such an interesting person in this episode because he represents someone that has had a better life on Voyager since being marooned in the Dequad. Right. And he can't be the only one. It is such a bad look for him to have such a poopy diaper in this scene about not wanting to read a letter from his dad and he hasn't checked in with her once. But then the second she pushes back and sticks up for herself, he completely abandons his casting of himself as the victim and is just there for her in a way. Like, I I think it's a bad Paris moment that he hasn't asked her once this whole episode, like how she's feeling, if she's gotten any news. But the fact that the second he knows how she's feeling and that she does have news, he is able to put his shit aside and comfort her over a much more major thing. I don't know, man. In Paris's defense, you just can't assume that at all times that your lady friend has been given news of thousands of Maquis dying. You can't. But on a day like today, when everybody's getting news from home, like even just asking her, what would it feel like for you to get some news from home is like a question worth asking. He's got dad problems, man. He's made it all about himself. He's not right. I I, th- I think he redeems himself in this scene, but it's, the scene starts as a bad look for him. You know what low-key I like about this scene is that they don't turn it into a makeout at the end. It's just two people in a couple's relationship figuring out, like, sharing their pain with each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And by the end of it, they're there for each other. Yeah, and it's just anal. They don't kiss at all. No. Mark Johnson? <laughs> I thought it was Tom Mervins, first of all. I don't agree with the name of this guy whatsoever. I, I will not be saying the name they use on this episode. Tom Mervins. For the clothes you love to live in. And his letter to Janeway. I was, I don't think I understood that he was her fiance. I thought they were married. Yeah, I thought so too. Maybe they were like common law. He ended up marrying the puppies. <laughs> is this another love me, love my dog demand? Yeah. Yes. The news that Janeway got is that Tom Mervins has uh, has moved on in life. And wouldn't you know it, Chakotay's the first one on the scene. Yeah. To pick up those shattered pieces. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. He's just going to put those pieces into his bindle. You know what happens uh, to the... Opposite sex partner of a heterosexual person who becomes their confidant. You know, that that tends to be a slippery slope. Sure. A well-lubricated slippery slope. <laughs> Sounds great. The dog had puppies, Ben. Yeah. And Tom Mervin's got remarried. He didn't even send pictures of the puppies. That would have uh, made it seem a little bit better, right? He just sends vacation pics of him and his new wife. (laughs) Look at this fox. (laughs) She's like half my age, Chakotay. (laughs) She didn't even graduate from the academy. What the fuck is he doing? (laughs) Oh, man. I mean, the take here, am I projecting onto Chakotay? a feeling of hope out of him instead of just total being there for a friend. I'm seeing an angle that doesn't feel great. Yeah. I think he's trying to bois her spirits. Yeah. I'm just writing mental slash fiction in this scene, I guess, huh? I don't think that that's not in this episode, Adam. I just don't think it's in this scene. (laughs) That's fair. Well, speaking of bois, 
Yeah. The ship picks up the distress bois that Tuvok and Seven of Nine dumped out of their Brat-style shuttle. And aboard the Herogen ship, it is decorated like a seafood restaurant in there. Like a cheap mid-market seafood <laughs> restaurant, like next to a truck stop. Yeah. Better than Denny's, but do you really want to take the risk? The camera floats around until we see Tuvok all lassoed into some real S&M style uh, belt wear. And Seven of Nine is laying nearby and her face is on the grate. Yeah, that's not great. Her face is on the grate. Not great. This is hero shit for Jerry Ryan. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. She didn't have to do that. These guys really have their dungeon set up in a big way. And, uh... This Herogen dude comes in, and he's fucking huge. You were pathetic prey. I really love that they cast actors that are like a foot and a half taller than the main cast characters that they're playing against. I love the reveal of this, because up until now... They could be one foot tall, for all we know. We're just seeing them on camera. But you see some of the camera angles tilted down Mm -hmm. to even allow Tuvok to be in a three-shot later, I thought was great. (laughs) I know. Yeah, and these guys are uh, very angry. They, I think they're primarily angry that the capture of the shuttle was quite easy. Yeah. The hunt was not satisfying. No. And Tuvok is talking a ton of shit, like, let us go back to our ship. And the guy's like, no, 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 no. I got to, you guys are my trophies. I got to uh, get all my artifacts out of you. Unlike people who want to bone Seven, this guy wants to debone Seven. <laughs> What did you make of the strategy here of you're overhearing your captors be like, God, these prisoners are weak as hell. I can't even blast from how easy it was to capture them. And your tack being like, you do not want to mess with us and our ship. We are badass. And when we bring the lumber, you're going to feel it. I wouldn't have done that at all. I would have been like, oh. Dude, not even worth the hunt. This is a snooze, dude. You think I'm weak? You should check out my weak-ass ship. Yeah. It's going to be terrible for you. Embarrassed to have even started hunting it. We're going to be the lamest game. <laughs> Objection noted. We'll do this without you. Do it. Do it. Objection noted. We'll do this without you. Do it. Do it. There's some debate among the two Herogen dudes about, like, you know, we want to take Voyager, but maybe we should wait for our friends. And Mm -hmm. one of them is like, no, I want all of the glory of taking it myself. I feel like we're kind of like starting to establish what the Herogen are about. They are hunters, as the title of the episode implies, but there's some formality to that, I guess. Right. They're having this debate when Voyager pulls up and Janeway gets on FaceTime with the captain of the Herogen vessel and is talking the same kind of shit that Tuvok has been talking Which doesn't work. So then she's like, okay, like, what about a trade? Give us our people back. I like Idrin's whole deal here. He's like, not only am I not giving you your people back, but you should really fuck off because once more ships arrive, you're really not going to have a chance. Don't be foolish. Leave now and save yourselves. These dudes are willing to attack unprovoked. And uh, this kind of turns into... Your classic, the progress bar is creeping across the computer screen while an adventure or an attack is taking place. And we're just hoping we can get all the data out before we have to run away. Yeah. This felt like a misstep to me because maybe I had just 
underestimated the importance of the messages they were trying to get. But I was shocked that we cut back to the ass lab and BLT's like, I could really use like- At least another half hour. <laughs> while Herogen ships are bearing down on them. It just didn't seem worth it to me. Yeah, I mean- The message isn't going to matter if you're dead. I think it's that message from command that they need to decrypt that they're mostly worried about. And I wasn't really clear on whether they got all of it out by the end of this episode. I'm not sure I really need to read another letter. <laughs> I can't take that today. <laughs> Nothing really matters today. I don't even feel like blowing up the ship. And that is literally my favorite thing to do. <laughs> I'm not even in the mood to whisper. <laughs> so the attack that they figure out is they're going to destabilize the station itself and expose the vacuum of the black hole to everyone. And that is going to work, but it's going to cut off the thing. And so they really have to wait till the last minute, but then they do it. And we see all the Herogen ships falling toward the event horizon of the Burr curl. I like that a lot. That was a fun scene. It was really cool. And they, and they like barely make it away, you know, and uh, Janeway marches down to the ass lab and sees the, like visual representation of all of the other relays in this network collapsing, which I really feel like the writer's room was like, fuck, we can't just have them like in contact with Starfleet for the rest of the series. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> what you don't see are all the Herogen being electrically shocked at all of those stations. Yeah, yeah. Every single one of them gets Wharf Lightning, then the uh -huh. entire Herogen species vows a vendetta against the Starship Voyager. I mean, even to me, that's pretty fucked up. <laughs> I mean, what I did to the Hushnak at least was painless. You just hurt lots of them wantonly all at once. I think they have a right to be mad. You killed him? It was a mild shock. He will recover. What did you make of Tuvok just throat slitting out on the Herogen ship? I love this. That guy got throat slit, but then he like got back up and kept fighting. And then he throws Tuvok across the room. God, the height disparity is crazy. I looked up uh, how tall these guys are. I mean, our main guy, Tiny Ron, we've seen before. My hairdo. Right. He's seven feet. His other guy, you know, the, uh, the subordinate, seven foot four. Wow. Holy mackerel. That's the guy you threw Tuvok. Fuck. That guy's huge. That's a full foot taller than me. Did you know that anyone over seven feet tall <laughs> statistically has a 17% chance of playing in the NBA? Wow. Because <laughs> there are so few people in the world that tall. Like yeah. that is a measurable statistic. Wow. I love that. Yeah. I'm so bad at basketball. My whole childhood was about showing up at an event where older people hadn't seen me in a while and gone, boy, you've gotten tall. I bet you play a lot of basketball. And me being like, I don't. I'm bad at it. Uh, that sucks. Whole fucking childhood. Everywhere I went. Sports expectations really had a negative impact on me growing up. <laughs> Sounds like they did the same for you. Yeah. That's why I became a rower. Like, I'm going to do the weirdest thing. <laughs> the sports that I was great at in gym were like... <laughs> I couldn't do anything with badminton. I beat my <laughs> teachers in badminton. 
<laughs> but that doesn't mean anything in general population. Oh, Ripley. Hello. Why didn't Tuvok try to neck pinch them? Do you think it was because they were too tall? They had that armor too. I feel like yeah. part of what you're going for with that pinch is like under the collarbone. That's true. I, it's crazy that they call it a neck pinch. It's as much a shoulder pinch as anything. If I'm blocking this scene, it had to be so seductive to shoot from Tuvok height in profile yeah. and just see like bodies rising out of frame. <laughs> I was really surprised that we never got anything like that. Yeah. Everything is tilted down toward Tuvok. Yeah, I wonder... There is some restraint about the comedy of the physicality of this scene, you know? Yeah. You said it before, visually, this whole episode is really top tier and mm -hmm. very fun to watch. So with all of the Hirogen defeated, they managed to punch a transporter beam through the Hirogen's hull and rescue Seven and Tuvok before that ship also falls into the Black Hurl. Or and uh, they're getting out of there. Day saved, but the whole network has collapsed, as we said. The last letter that BLT was able to get out of there is one that she is taking down to deliver to Kim. It's the letter he's wanted the whole time. Dear Harry, it's your parents. We've turned your room into kind of a gym, all-purpose space. There is a bookcase that is a secret entrance to a sex dungeon that is kind of Herogen themed. Anyways, glad you're alive. Never mind the heavy duty eyelet hooks <laughs> driven into the ceiling posts. <laughs> not my mom and dad. Paris does not get the letter from daddy. All we got is the heading of the letter from daddy. Yeah. It's too bad. And it's Forward, 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 forward. Admiral Cartwright was right. <laughs> Paris is like, yeah, no, I, th I do feel justified in not wanting to read this. Like, they're still talking about that guy? Paris is like, the old man has been using the internet a little bit too much. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, the button on the episode, Adam. Yeah. Janeway suddenly in a good mood and it really feels like she is in a good mood because she's realizing she's back on the market as she yeah. sits down for coffee with Chicote and like totally flirts with him about his amount of sugar choices and stuff. Did you? <laughs> I could swear that Janeway laughs about the number of lumps Chicote wants in his coffee because he asks for two. Yeah. And she still grabs him one. Man. Crazy. Yeah. You'll take what I give you, Chicote. If I give you only one of my lumps, you'll enjoy it. This is a great strategy if you have been invited to a party that's kind of spur of the moment and you don't know if you have the energy. A coffee pre-funk yeah. is a great idea. The finest organic suspension ever devised. I always love showing up at a party needing to poop urgently. Me and my wife have been doing a lot of uh, espresso martinis. Hmm. Popular drink. Yeah. That's good. That'll pump you right up for a party. Yeah. That'll get you going. The sophisticates Red Bull and vodka, I guess. Yeah. That is the end of the episode, Adam. I have a question for you. Did you like this episode? You know, I'm really easy to get along with most of the time. But I don't like bullying. I don't like friends. And I don't like you. I think I'll like it more if the Herogen are a going concern. 
I want to keep hanging out with the Hirogen. I like the idea of giant aliens. Yeah. I like the idea of the Starfleet's maybe fucking this one up from the beginning. Yeah. They really ship of death this thing. Yeah, they really did. (laughs) (laughs) They destroyed a communications network with a high dollar value. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, a high sentimental value too. It's 100,000 years old. Yeah. Do you think that like hundreds of little black holes were released (laughs) across the quadrant? Yeah. How much damage was this? You're going to be flying serpentine to get home now. Yeah. I mean, as I said before, like super interesting visually and an interesting story, like the tension of needing something that doesn't belong to you and trying to make that work diplomatically, I thought was a, a fun spin on a science fiction story dealing with aliens. Yeah. And I don't like seeing Janeway hurt, but Kate Mulgrew's ability to play strong in the face of disappointment is a brand of her that we've gotten throughout this season. And she's so good at it Yeah, that you just can't help but... It feels like rooting for the captain is like front running as a fan, like rooting for the Cowboys or something. But... <laughs> She is flawed and interesting and strong and good. And it doesn't feel that way to root for her as a character. And just more and more episode after episode, I just find myself really on her side as a captain. Yeah. And this episode especially. What about you? Yeah, I think it's interesting how much her emotional journey in this episode sort of feels like it's almost the C storyline. If the existential stuff with the ship and the Herogen and the station are the a and harry kim's story is the b the captain receiving her letter and processing it feels like the c but it it also like is incredibly humanizing Mm -hmm. in this way that's very uncharacteristic of captains we've seen in star trek up till now how great is it that she doesn't want to be alone looking out a staring window like she wants to be with someone through this moment and she wants to go party with her crew. Like, Yeah. It took eight seasons for Picard to party with his crew. Yeah. He should have done that a long time ago. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think this is a great episode. Very, uh, very nicely shot. Very nicely directed. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of ways they could have taken this script. And it's hard to fault them for just like making a choice and seeing it through. I do feel like they see through the script that they wrote like it it rises to the challenge uh there's just so many more questions i had and i'm guessing we'll see many answers to those explored in the coming episodes so yeah 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 overall uh an episode i really liked yeah good stuff see what kind of good stuff we have over in the priority one message inbox ben fine priority one message from starfleet coming in on secured channel Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. We're going to have to destroy the priority one message system <laughs> after getting these partial P1s, right, Ben? Oh, yeah. And uh, it could take hours for us to decode these, but so we might as well get started now. Don't touch your computer. You don't want to get shocked by the lightning, Ben. (laughs) Especially from this first priority one message. It's of a promotional nature. Whoa. Ben, the call to action is for a podcast wreck that doesn't violate HR policy, but still takes you on a journey. 
It's called The History of American Food. You can find out more about this on Twitter and Insta at T-H-O-A-F-O-O-D. All right. So T, the, H, history, O of, (laughs) A, American, F, food. The message goes like this. I'm going to read this like it's a teleprompter, okay? Okay. Voyager is Star Trek hashtag foodcast, and you still have viewers. The history of American food pod should fit. Start at 17th C ship rations and work through food categories to the present. Neelix hasn't caused space food poisoning, not causing space scurvy, rickets, and pellagra. More important. Jokes are bad science teacher humor, and we are work and child safe. For example, the history of the pineapple, molasses beer, and the connex of Britain, lemons, and the mafia. Soon I'll be at Revolutionary War and how to make soup from shoe leather. (laughs) Mm. So Greta Harden sent this in. This is a promo for their show, The History of American Food. It sounds like they've got a lot of ground to cover here. Yeah, I think I've uh, exchanged some tweets with uh, THOA Food on Twitter and uh, always some funny stuff in there. I'm dying to know how to make soup from shoe leather because I've seen hobos lower their boots into pots of boiling water in so many images, and I didn't know if that was a real thing or not. You can't do that with sabo, right? There's no such thing as sabo soup. Mm, I guess it depends on what uh, type of wood you're working with. Yeah. Wow. Well, check out the History of American Food podcast. That sounds really cool. Yeah. Our next P1 here is from Scott, and it's to the Friends of DeSoto, and it goes like this. In the next two months, the United States will have midterm elections. These are important, and we need to be active. The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men and women to do nothing. Vote early, vote local, and use your voice to encourage others. To quote Janeway, one voice can be stronger than a thousand voices. Yeah, true that. I love this. Thank you for uh, that message, Scott. A great reminder to all of us that we should be getting out there. It takes a lot more than just voting, I would say. It's writing letters to your politicians. It is looking up who is running for what and what bills are being proposed to voters in your area and really doing the homework on it. And if you've got time, you know, canvassing for people or making calls, knocking on doors, volunteering for campaigns that you support, all of that stuff really helps in addition to giving money. So, Well, you're right about all that, Ben, but at least (laughs) vote. At least vote. Don't make it too hard on people. All right? Yeah, but also unique times. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Wow, thank you, Scott. That's a great message. Ben, our final priority one message is from Kern, and it is to you. From me? That message goes like this. I can't remember for sure, but I suspect you'll be a better father than this Klingon-turned-Starfleet patak that I think I might have heard about once. Maybe. (laughs) Kapla! (laughs) I mean, that's a low bar. (laughs) Yeah. I do hope I can clear it. Does the bar get any lower than Worf? I mean, O'Brien lost his daughter in a time butthole. Yeah. And then she had to raise herself feerily from the age of five. But that wasn't because O'Brien did a bad job. 
<laughs> it seemed like Worf didn't even want to be around Alexander. That's true. At least, at least O'Brien wanted to be around his child. Yeah. He was negligent that one time, but overall, he was better than Worf. <laughs> yeah. Let's look at the whole picture. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you, Kern. Thank you to everyone who got a P1. And if you'd like to get a P1, head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron and set it up today. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda. I think I'm going to give it to seven for just not picking up on how depressed Janeway was in that one scene. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that is a... Uh, a pretty Shimoda move to just like walk into a room, get the thing you wanted out of the room and leave without like checking in with any of the people <laughs> in that room. <laughs> uh, I don't know. It, it's like a sad scene yeah. in many ways, but it's also kind of funny in, in that way. True. Yeah. If Seven is going to be a Shimoda, that's the way that she's going to be it. Yeah. The not being able to read the social cues. Totally. Every time. Mine is going to be Chicote for kind of a similar reason. Whoa. That coffee clatch he gets into with Janeway at the end. <laughs> I think he's got to lock that shit down a little bit. He seems a little too interested on this particular day, you know, of all days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's uh, a little bit skeevy to strike while the emotions all are vulnerable. <laughs> In that way. But at the same time, like, this is what everyone wants. The entire show is constructed around an interest in them being together. Yeah. There's a whole bathtub storyline about this. Seriously. And he didn't even have a replicator to burn rations on for that bathtub. What kind of day has Chicote had? <laughs> he learns that thousands of his comrades have died, but also he's got a chance with the lady at the workplace. <laughs> So, uh, not all bad. Not all bad news. <laughs> yeah. Could be worse. Wow. Well, <laughs> Adam, why don't you head over to gach.biz slash game and uh, get your dice in your hands while I tell you about season four, episode 16, Prey. When Voyager beams aboard a wounded Herogen aboard... <laughs> when Voyager beams aboard a wounded Herogen aboard, they inadvertently allow aboard his prey, Ooh. <laughs> a member of Species 8472. They used aboard three times in that sentence. Boy, that's like one of my bad tweets. <laughs> you ever write a tweet and you just realize you repeated the same word four times? Yeah, oh, all the time. God, that sucks. It's extremely frustrating, but uh, that's the world we live in, Adam. Do you want to uh, tell us about where we are on the board game and, and where we're going? Sure do, Ben. Our runabout is currently on square 32. We're just a couple squares ahead. We've got a Janeway square. Oh, yeah. Which would ride us upwards to uh, the second row from the top where... The next episode becomes a measure of a man episode. Hell yeah. That's not the only thing in range. Got a Neelix's galley square, four squares ahead. Wow. And here's some breaking news, Ben. Mm. A new square has been put on the board. It's there. Wow. That is square 43, <laughs> the Brone Zone. 
take it you're in charge here. <laughs> Team leader Brown, fourth board defense contingent. I gotta get a pump. That's it, get it. That is the square where the hosts must communicate using glory dvory tellings during yeah. the fullness of the episode. <laughs> Um, we also uh, got the Kanar with Damar Square back on the board because a friend of DeSoto gave us that bottle of uh, official Star Trek wines Kanar, and uh, that has been re-added to Square 54. I just want to say this. Every time we even mention a change to this game, Philippe Sobriero, Craig Anderson, and Andrew Wong Hoyer are like on it, yeah, ready to change the game, ready to improve it ready to make it more fun. So that's been a real great part of the game of buttholes. A genuine treat. Felipe is also working on uh, a couple of items for podshop.biz. Right. Last I heard. Yeah. Look forward to that as well. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. I'm working on rolling this die. Do that thing. I rolled a one, Ben. (laughs) (laughs) Did I win? Hardly. Creeping along. We're on square 33. Regular old episode for us. Yeah. You know how I do. Fucking A. Yeah. We've rolled, I think, a couple of ones in a row. So, uh, yep. We're just inching along. Yeah. We're not in any particular hurry. I'm prolonging the pleasure. Yeah. That's what I'm doing. It's getting tantric in here. I'm making this game last a long time. Yeah. Well, the people that make this show last a long time are the people that go to MaximumFun.org slash join and set up a monthly membership. We greatly appreciate those folks. We also appreciate anyone who leaves a nice review on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcatching app you use or uh, recommends the show to a friend or you know downloads it onto your parents' iPad or whatever. Just helping us juice the numbers, you know? Makes a big difference. I just enjoyed some drinks with some pals who told me that they weren't listeners of the show. <laughs> and it didn't hurt my feelings because they said that they download it and subscribe to it. Hell yeah. I was like, love that. Doesn't upset me whatsoever. Yeah. That's all you got to do. Yeah. You don't have to listen. No. No one has to listen. No one should listen. Nope. It counts the same. <laughs> That's great. We should thank Wendy Pretty, the producer and editor of this podcast. We should thank Nick Dittmore, who made the show art. The card daddy, Bill Tilly, who runs our social media accounts at Greatest Trek. And Adam Ragusea, who made our original theme music, riffing off of the original card song by Dark Materia that you're hearing right now. Thanks to all those folks for being so great. You just did all the credits. There are no more credits for me to read. Drunkshimoto.com. greatestgen.reddit.com there's places that you could go to meet friends of DeSoto on the internet they would like that how could I not shout out the Miriam places on social media where you can meet a friend of DeSoto everywhere greatestgen.wakia.com if you're wondering where a joke came from they've compiled a huge list of the runners on this show and uh, cataloged many of their origins greatesttrek.com Surely a website that we own and operate <laughs> by this moment. <laughs> hmm, maybe. With that, we will be back at you next week with another great episode of Star Trek Voyager and an episode of The Greatest Generation Voyager that has a 17% chance of having some actors in the NBA. <laughs> nice callback. Thanks. I'm, uh, 
professional comedy podcaster. Yeah. <laughs> Make it show. Make it show. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.